Welcome to Israel Mosaic, Land People's Story. I'm your host, Koro Tarod, and I'm coming to you from the Jezreel Valley in the Lower Galilee. On today's show, we will hear more from Claude Izagori's journey. Thank you for coming on the show today, Claude. Thank you for inviting me on. Claude, in your newfound faith here in Israel, after you found out that you weren't the only believer in Israel, you had a call in Tiberias. Can you describe how Koav HaShachar came to being? In 1989, I was already four years in the faith, and the Lord started to wake me up in the night and tell me this is the time to leave the kibbutz. And I was terrorized. Leaving the kibbutz means, again, starting from zero, like my parents <laughs> from Algeria. It was like, you leave the kibbutz, you don't have anything. You start from zero. Back in 1975, you know. <laughs> so I thought, no, no, that's not possible. And I said to the Lord, if it's really you, I need a confirmation. So then again, he gave me another confirmation, and then I asked for another confirmation, five confirmation, and I remember five times, and every time it was during the night, and every time he was giving me another clue what I would do after I leave the kibbutz, and he said to me, if you leave the kibbutz, I will bless you. And at some point, I said to Michel, I shared, and uh, at that time, I was helping somebody who had a small company in Tiberius, I was helping him with letters and correspondence. And he said to me, okay, you know, maybe you can come and work for the company in Tiberius, and I don't know how it will be, but we can try. And Michel said to me, okay, what you can do is, is leave the kibbutz. I mean, you would, of course, live in the kibbutz, but you would not work in the kibbutz. I would continue to work in the kibbutz you would work in Tiberius. So we had this arrangement with the kibbutz management because when I said to the kibbutz management that we wanted to leave, they said, you're crazy, you're going to lose everything, all your benefits, and so on, so on. I said, well, God told me to leave, I have to do it. And at some point, Michel joined me in Tiberius. We really left the kibbutz. And the Lord blessed us. And as he told me, he gave us to live in a flat we didn't have to pay the rent. It was a believer from Norway who said, you can be there and keep the flat for me. And my mother bought us a car. And I had a job, and Michelle found a job. And so it went well. And we were going to a congregation. But at that time, it was 1990, the former USSR opened. And as you know, the big Aliyah from the north started, and I think it was 1 million or 1 point, I don't remember exactly the number, but a lot of, lot of Russian Jews, not only Russian, from Ukraine and so on, came to Israel, among them many believers. And I met some of them at the congregation, but at that time, no congregation was ready to receive these Russian Jews. There was no translation in the congregation. So I asked them, I said, how do you do it? You listen to the messages, but you don't understand <laughs> There's the translation. And they said, well, we pick up the crumbs that fall from the table. And when he said this, it really broke my heart. And the Lord gave me a deep burden for the Aliyah from Russia, for the Russian Jews. 
and on the 13th of July, 1990, I was on my knees praying for the Aliyah for Russia, and I said, Lord, they come, and they're hungry for the gospel. Some are believers, but there's no translation, nothing. And the Lord said to me, I call you to start a congregation with the Russian Jews. And I was terrorized by this word. I said, Lord, I don't have a clue how to do this. If you want me to do this, you need to start all the process. And for one week, I felt his hand on my back. I remember the first days I was turned back because I thought that somebody was pushing me. You know, somebody was putting his hand on my back. And the Lord said to me, I'm behind you, you start. And there was somebody who could translate, and Russian Jews were very open to the gospel. They were very hungry. I took my Bible. I went through the verses, and one by one, they received the Lord. I had a guitar at that time. I had learned some Russian songs, and when I didn't have a verse for them, I played a Russian praise song, and they started to weep and receive the Lord. And very quickly, we had about, about 30 people in our house. We met on Saturday, and then, you know, when we had a full house, we were hosted through a Canadian believer who went to the Church of Scotland, and he said, do you have some room here for this new congregation, started with the Russian Jews? And there was a very nice reverend there, minister of the Church of Scotland. He said, yes. Of course, tell them to come. I said something for them. And we were hosted at the Church of Scotland, and that's how our fellowship grew, the Morning Star Fellowship, for many years. Until then, uh, we had another, another episode. <laughs> it's an amazing story, Claude, just how many things happen in your life after coming from France to Israel. I want to transition a little bit here and you have been marked really by war in Algeria. You experienced really skirmishes and, and infighting. You experienced war in Tiberias. I know a little bit of that story, that episode. Can you just explain to the audience what it was like? The rockets were launched at Tiberias and you were living there. Can you just explain that time? It was 2006. Yeah, we were worshiping. It was a Saturday. Actually, the war had started one and a half months before that. The rockets were falling on the north of Israel, but Tiberius was not touched. But on that Saturday, we heard some explosions that were not too far from us. And I was not quite aware of it, but my wife and some people from the congregation, during the service, they came to me and said, we think that rockets are falling <laughs> not far from us. And I said, well, let's continue the service, and I <laughs> continued to preach. Then we, we came out of the Church of Scotland, and the city was empty. People had already taken their cars and fled to Tel Aviv, and we were the only ones downtown. And right there, the Lord said to me, the destiny of this city is in the hands of the intercessors. So I told our intercessors, I said, this is what the Lord said to me, so we need to take authority here. We have the responsibility for this city. So we 
decided to go to the Swiss forest, which is a mountain that is not far from Tavir, is overlooking the city. Every evening we were there at 7 o'clock, and we prayed, interceded for the city, we took authorities over the rockets, and we prayed for the welfare of the city. And although 250 rockets fell on the city and its surrounding, we were the only city with no casualty. No one died, no one was wounded. And so the Lord was, was very faithful to his word. He received our prayers. Yeah. That's another miracle in your life. Your life has been really marked by miracles. I'm just, I'm just listening to your story, and it's one miracle after the next. Claude, you wanted to share with the listening audience today about the persecution that happens to Jewish people in Israel who believe in Jesus. I want to, to share the way I felt about it because when I had so much joy in my heart when I found the Lord and when I found actually that Yeshua was my real Jewish identity, because all my Jewish identity was fulfilled in Yeshua. This is how I understood it. And so I didn't understand it in a way that I converted to another religion. Actually, we know when it happened 2,000 years ago, there were no Christians. It was a purely Jewish matter. It was a Jewish controversy between the Jews. And that's why Paul used to go to preach in the synagogues. So I received the Lord. I remained very Jewish in my heart. I even continued with some of the Jewish traditions. But then I found the hostility of my own people, which, again, if I go to the history of my life, it was always confronting either the Arabs or the French or the, the Catholics or, <laughs> you know, and now it's confronting to the Jews. And when we were in the Church of Scotland, the rabbis knew that we were meeting there, and they sent some people during the night to burn the church. And they burned the inside of the church. They burned some Bibles. And, and then they posted an Orthodox Jew who stood before the entrance of the Church of Scotland and one day I asked him, why uh, do you stand here every Shabbat? You know? And he said, I want to make sure that no Jew comes in. So every Shabbat he was there. But at that time, the Church of Scotland, there was a reverend that didn't quite understand who the Messianic Jews were. And he took a big cross and he put it on the front of the church. So it was seen by people outside. And then one Saturday, one Shabbat, I talked to this Orthodox Jew who was standing, and he said, from now on, I know I don't have to be here. Because of this cross, no Jew will come in. And you see, this is the heart of the matter, actually. It's that the world divided this matter into two camps, two religions, the Christians and the Jews, Christianity and Judaism. But it's not like that. The reality is otherwise. And there are some 
signs that are supposed to be Christian signs and others that are supposed to be Jewish signs, like the cross. Of course, if you put the cross on a wall, it sounds Christian, it looks Christian, but actually the concept of the cross is in our hearts. So this is what I tried to explain to this reverend at that time of the Church of Scotland. I said, look, I mean, we believe in what Yeshua did on the cross, but if the cross on the wall is going to cause the Jews to run away from the gospel, from the truth, then what have we done? You've done the opposite, because I believe that the Christians would love the Jews to not to become Christians, but to discover their true roots in Yeshua. But if you behave in hostility towards the Jews by putting the cross in their face, you will be met with 2,000 years of Christian persecution to the Jews. And in the same way as we had Christian persecution to the Jews, now we have Jewish persecution to the Messianic Jews. And so we're not going to get out of it this way. So the only way is for the Christians to understand their roots in Judaism, to go back to 2,000 years before and to see how it all started. It all started with the Old Testament. And this is the way you need to approach it. You need to understand that your roots are in the Old Testament. Your roots are with the Jews, with Israel. Paul said, I am a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. He never said, I am a Christian. Although we see once the word Christian in Greek, but it's messianic. But it was important for him to stress that he remained Jewish, although he was a follower of Jesus. And so there is a whole change that needs to take place, and it is taking place, thank God, in the church worldwide, is that the church starts to understand how all this works. I wrote a book about this. It's called The Land in Controversy. But it's just to open the eyes of the Christians about Israel, about the Jews, about the way Christianity was born, and to go back to their roots. This is the only way that would help us, because now it does help when the Jews see Christians come to Israel. Not now. This is, a, again, an attack of the enemy. But when the, the Christians come to Israel with a love for the Jews, then the Jews, they switch back and in their mind. They say, we were taught by the rabbis that the Christians are enemies of the Jews, but we see the opposite. We see that the Christians now love the Jews. So they ask the Christians, why do you love the Jews? And the Christians tell them, well, we love the Jews because we have a Jewish Messiah. So everything needs to change. I'm so glad that you mentioned that last phrase, we have a Jewish Messiah, because as I've lived here in the United States, there's such a disconnect between people not seeing that Jesus was Israeli-born, Israeli parents, born in Bethlehem, completely Jewish. How can people get that understanding who are not only Jewish, but who are also Gentiles? 
Again, I go back to what uh, Yeshua said, that salvation comes from the Jews, John 4, Paul saying that he remained Jewish. Uh, you go back to Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11. When you speak to Christians, you need to be scriptural because they need to see, for instance, that Jesus was prophesied to the Jews in the book of Isaiah, in many books you know, of, of the Old Testament. So it was a Jewish message. Jesus himself said, I have come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So you see, everything is in the scriptures. It's just that Christian theology try to avoid these things because they had their own theology and uh, it was marked actually by anti-Semitism, which was a latent anti-Semitism, but it was there always. And it was inherited from the Catholic Church, of course, and it passed on to part of the Protestant Church. And thank God there's a reversal now with a lot of Christians, even some among the Catholic Church who start to change their way of thinking. Have you ever experienced, as a leader in Chov HaShachar, death threats for your life? Did you experience, as being a Messianic believer, where it became a matter of life and death? We went to a city called Batyam, and we were sent two by two, and I was with a brother, we evangelized, and at some point I spoke to a group of about four people, and they asked me, are you Jewish? And I said, yes. And they asked where from, and they saw that I'm a Sephardic Jew, and to them it was an insult that a Sephardic Jew would adopt Yeshua as their Messiah. And so they got very angry, and they started to shout at me, and they grabbed me, and there was a small monument to a girl that had been killed in a terrorist attack by the Palestinians, and they grabbed me, and they said to me, now we're going to kill you on the same spot where this girl was attacked because you're an enemy of the Jewish people, and by that time, there was a mob of about 30 people around us shouting, missionaries, missionaries. And I thought, okay, this is going to get nasty. <laughs> and at some point, you know, in the midst of these shouts and this guy grabbing me, and I don't remember how I could set myself free from him. And I walked through the crowd and I walked away and they didn't touch me. They continued to shout, but they didn't do anything to me. So the Lord was really with me. Otherwise, you know, he said, we're going to kill you. So thank God, yeah. I just have to tell you, when I heard your story about how they tried to kill you, that's so similar to what they tried to do to Jesus. And you read in the New Testament, his time had not come. And he did the same thing as you did, in a sense. He went away from the people miraculously and got away from the crowd. Claude, if we look at the global pandemic through our natural eyes, it's next to impossible to understand what is going on in this world. What have your spiritual eyes told you, Claude, about what is happening now? Well, um, I guess I'm in the minority because right from the start, in my spirit, it was very clear that 
it was a stratagem of the enemy and I was not supposed to agree and so Michelle had the same thing from the Lord and we decided we're not going to be vaccinated we started to research the whole pandemic you know very deeply there's so many things that come from very serious professors who were actually very received before the pandemic but from the moment they said the truth about the pandemic they were censored among them one who was a nobel prize of medicine so these are very very serious people and i had to speak to the leaders of the messianic community in israel and to show them everything that i found the way i see it is i have so much to say but just in a nutshell the way i see it is that we have a specific promise from the lord in psalm 91 verse 2 it says if you are in the shelter of the most high you rest in the shadow of the almighty and then it goes on to say he will save us from the deadly pestilence or the pandemic the plague or the virus he will save us so i think if the lord says to me he will save me now i need to decide do i believe it if i do believe him then why would i say yes it's true but he cannot save me without a man fabricated vaccine especially when i had all the doubts about this vaccine it was a denial of my faith it was either this or that either the lord will save you or if you believe in the vaccine this is your faith put your faith in the vaccine and it's like the people of israel they believed in god god was their king you know but at some point they said well we want a king and so the lord was disappointed and he said okay i'm going to give them a king and he gave them king saul but you see this is because the people had a divided heart and then later he prophesies i will give them an undivided heart we have to have an undivided heart if we believe in what the lord says then we believe and we say lord if you want to take me now you take me i'm ready but i believe your word you say that you will save me from the pandemic and I'm going to stand on this. And also the second thing is that we see the same signs today as warning that as we see in Revelation 13 which describes the government of the antichrist. We see the fear, we see the propaganda, we see discrimination, uh restrictions, a global policy blaming it on part of the population like now all of these signs we see them in revelation 13 so what i understand is that it's a conditioning of the population to be ready when the antichrist comes to be ready to receive the 666 and it will be the same rhetoric it will be that receive the 666 for the good of mankind of the population and if you don't receive it you put us in danger it's dangerous for all of us 
you're not participating in what we are doing for the welfare of the population, and so on and so on. And this is how people would be jailed or they were cut off their heads. We see this in the scriptures. And they would think that they do something good for God. So we see the same pattern. And so there are so many signs that the Lord is showing us together with the whole stratagem of this vaccine, how it started. It couldn't start naturally. This is not a natural thing. There are many, many evidences of, on that. What are the ingredients there? With a little bit of research, you come to very serious conclusions. So all of this together tells me that as believers, we might fall in a trap here. Because in Romans 13, you might understand it that we are supposed to obey our government. But you know, it has never been like that in the Bible. Jeremiah certainly didn't obey the king. And many, many others, Paul and disciples. And you have many examples. Mordechai, for instance. Esther. Daniel. So this is not what this passage means. Especially when it stresses that it is when the government is judging in the right way between right and wrong. But in this case, if the government says to me, you cannot go to the house of God because you don't have the green pass or you cannot uh, do this, you cannot do that. I say, well, the house of God is not mine. It's the house of God. And so whoever wants to come is free. If someone is afraid of something, then he can stay home. We're filming the meetings. He will be able to see them on the screen will be in touch by phone however but house of god is open and this is where where we stand i think that this is the time to pray this is the time to to ask for discernment remember that concerning the 666 it's written that we need wisdom so we need to be wise we need to ask for discernment and to continue to i mean really really this is the time to get closer and closer to the lord I really respect your stand, you and Michelle stand as leaders, and we agree with what you say, and we appreciate you coming on today. Claude, thank you so much for, again, sharing your life with us. Yes, thank you. I'm honored. Join me next time on Israel Mosaic, Land People's Story, when I'll be interviewing Claude's wife, Michelle Zagori. See you soon.